Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I'm your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me is my co-host, Gabe Gums. And we have a very special guest on today. Her name is Kay Royal. And uh, Kay, won't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell the listeners what you do? Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Cameron and Gabe, for letting me join your podcast. My name is Kay Royal. I am a global privacy attorney. I work for TrustArc, one of the world's oldest privacy companies, and I'm still thrilled over the fact that we acquired Nimity, so I'm going to slip that in. <laughs> and um, Before I became a privacy officer, though, I was a registered nurse, and so a lot of people think that moving from nursing into law was a weird move. To me, it was very natural. But what was even more natural was not only did I move into being a lawyer, I moved into being into privacy. And so now I'm the Associate General Counsel of Trust Arc, and I absolutely love what I do. Uh, it's super interesting. I mean, obviously, I don't know how normal it is for someone to, to move from the medical field to law like you did, but you said it was pretty natural. Yes, for me, because um, families are probably not aware of a lot of the legal issues that occur at the hospital when they're not there with their loved ones or when their loved ones may be asleep or not fully awake and alert of everything. And it just terrifies me, some of the things that I saw. Yeah, I think it would terrify most. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what you don't know is good sometimes. Right, exactly. So, you know, we wanted to get into the topic on here around, obviously, privacy. This is privacy, please. The coronavirus is a big thing right now. I know everybody's probably like, let's stop talking about it. But this is something that I think is very important because right now there's a lot of companies that are, you know, asking their employers to work from home that aren't normally a work from home type of ordeal. So let's kind of dive into that. We have an article that was written by Allison Grande. Um, it's the Employers Face Privacy Balancing Act and Coronavirus Fight. Um, so let's let's kind of dive into this. I know, Gabe, you had a question to start us off. So let's let's roll with that. I did. And, and this is the perfect guest to have this conversation with. So welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. And, 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 and the, the plug on Nimity is, is not not the bad one at all. I've been a fan of uh, both organizations <laughs> for a while. Um, and on top of that, we've actually been working with your organization over the last few months to do some some really cool things together to, to help both of our customers in the privacy space. So this is this is all very fortuitous. But the topic at hand is is very topical. And we like to keep the show focused on things that are actually affecting people's day to day in their privacy. And this balance between privacy uh, that employers are facing is a real one in a couple of senses. There is there is the very personal medical side of this coin. And there's also the technology side of the coin. But first, I want to jump into and dive into that 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 medical side of it, right? So, you know, there were some there were some employers who had been taking what some may see as kind of drastic measures of checking their employees um, for for uh, fevers and checking their temperature upon coming to the workplace, which does feel a bit invasive. But slightly, yeah, I think so. But on the other end of the spectrum, you you have just the basic, uh, you know employees kind of asking additional personal questions about their employees' health, employers asking employees about their health, you know, just to try and get a handle and assess the situation and maybe give some advice as to whether they should, shouldn't come into the office and all these types of things. Now, most privacy regulations, to my knowledge, and and kind of reading Allison's, uh, Allison's 
article here do make some very specific carve-outs for what information an employer can collect in terms of medicalization and an employee. Where would you, where would you, and again, although you are a lawyer, we should probably give the caveat. They should, they should go talk to their own legal counsel. <laughs> exactly. Right. Just because you're listening to me doesn't make me my, uh, make me your attorney. Exactly. <laughs> but, but just some general advice for both employers and employees about where the lines in the sands are, should be, you know, the, just kind of some general advice there for the listeners. Oh, absolutely. And I think the article was wonderful. And I think you stated y'all plan to put the link in the description for the podcast, which is really good. And there's a lot of articles coming out around the coronavirus and working situations, because not only do you have to take into account the working professionals, attorneys, privacy officers, uh, executives that may be in a position to work remote, but what about those employees that are not in a position to work remote? And I've seen this going around in a lot of forums, such as receptionists. Your receptionist really can't do their work unless they're at the office. Um, But I've seen you know, compromises such as, well, let's get the receptionist a dedicated cell phone and let's forward all the incoming messages there and we'll just put a a sign on the door that says we're not open. But there's lots of other people who can't do their work unless they're actually at work. And most of these you think of ones that are doing the physical work, such as stocking the shelves or working on the cars or the police officers that, you know, they actually have to be at the location to work. So in many cases, what are we looking at? And this brings up several different different points. I love the article, but your point about checking employees when they come into work. How many times have we fallen into the sick shaming yeah. um, work ethic where someone stays at home because they're coughing or because they're running or fever or because they don't feel well? And we're like, well, unless you're dying, you need to be sitting at your desk. Right. Well, now people are dying. Literally dying. It's true. Literally dying. And you you pull in that thread a little bit more and extend it even further. Then there are those, because it is still flu and cold season. So how much should an employer and or an employee feel comfortable sharing with everyone else about their own current situation? If you come into work on Monday morning and you you, you happen to cough, and quite frankly, you probably didn't get tested because, as we understand it, there's just not enough tests to go around. No. You know, and the what, tests we have don't work. Don't work. <laughs> I mean, there is there's equally some limitations on just how much of your own personal health you should feel obligated to share with with others. Right. And frankly, there aren't privacy laws in place that prevent employers from asking in the United States, let's be clear, in the United States, that prevent employers from asking about an employee's health. Now, there are laws that prevent them from asking about their family member's health. The Genetic Information and Non-Discrimination Act, I believe it was passed in 2008, um, that prevents them from asking about genetic issues, which would be your family's health. But asking about your health directly, I think the closest we would be able to knock it under would be workers' compensation. And which brings up a whole different issue than what was talked about in the article, that if you do get sick because someone at work was sick, is that workers' mm-hmm. compensation? Ooh, that's a, that's a great question. Wow. <laughs> this virus in particular has, is forcing you know things like self-quarantining and even mandatory quarantining. And I think 
my, my memories, uh, I, I heard it on the radio this morning. I, I think I was listening to an NPR article, and they were talking about um, passing some temporary relief in terms of unemployment benefits for those right. who do contract the virus. So you do bring up another good point, which is, you know, where are those lines between things like employee, like compensation and workers' comp? And, you know, if, if, if based on these health concerns, folks have to be furloughed or anything, what kind of legal protections are in place to both protect someone's privacy? Because again, with the health shaming, you may you may be one of those unfortunate folks to, to contract it, but you may not want everyone to know about right. your health situation. And what if it's your spouse that contracts it or your children that contract it, or frankly, your children are out of school because the schools are closed. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things related to coronavirus that we're all having to manage. And it all comes down to different levels of privacy. I saw an article put out from the... Um, education this morning about FERPA and coronavirus and universities and schools that are closing or taking emergency actions and what you can and can't do when it comes to health care. That is so interesting. FERPA is a great regulation to bring up in this conversation. Um, we, we have a, a healthy healthy association with the higher ed community. They, they've been uh, they've been in, in the Spear and family for quite some time and they're rather well experienced with regards to collecting processing and protecting the health information of their students. But I'm willing to bet that this raises some new challenges that even those organizations have not had to face yet, least of which is the the uh, the housing of these students, right? So there I know there are a lot of there are a lot of privacy issues around, for example, just reporting uh, housing information to the census around students because FERPA protects a lot of that information. And Corona is probably going to equally complicate that. Uh, I don't know if the WHO attempts to collect this type of information for their own analysis and benefit as well, but I'm sure FERPA has something to say about that also. Right. And when you start thinking about school, then you also start thinking about your teenagers and some teenagers start college earlier than 18, but you think about your teenagers at college who may be exposed I mean, mm -hmm. here where I live, we have Arizona State University, who's been very active in protecting students, but was was one of the first coronaviruses in the United States with a student at ASU that tested positive for it. So what would you do as a parent if you're 17, 18, heck, let's be honest, your 21-year-old is away at college across the nation and you need to do something to take care of them because they have no one there? Yeah. Does that mean you take That's off from point. work and then how do you get there with the travel? It's right. a tough situation indeed. And it's the same, same example when if, if they start all closing all these schools, think about all the mothers and uh, others that work in the hospitals and stuff like that are in jobs where they don't get paid salary and they have to work to make money, but they're forced to stay home to watch their kids because nobody can watch them. I right. mean, it just it raises so many other issues as well. Absolutely. And it crosses so many different legal lines. But as we started the conversation with privacy lines, mm -hmm. because you've got employees that need to be at work because our the situation requires it. You want first responders on the job. You want medical personnel on the job. But you really don't want to have to go see any of them with any of this going on. Yeah, I, I have a question I want to challenge you both on. Um, <clears throat> for the listeners, you know, anyone that's just trying to learn or what they can do. What do you think the possible liabilities resulting from oversharing personal information related to the virus may be or could be? 
Well, I'll I'll jump in there first, and then I'll I'll let uh, like yeah. most of it is is you start getting slightly out of my comfort zone when you talk about liabilities. But, <laughs> but, but, let me, but let me approach this as the the person that would be on the other end of it that would be somewhat um, frustrated if I were not in, in that scenario. At an absolute minimum, you know, if if that information will somehow impede my ability to to gain employment in the future, that's going to be problematic. Yeah. If right. it somehow impedes my my ability to to uh to, to not just gain employment but but to maybe also gain health insurance because you know a a, a pre-existing condition of some sorts m- might come into play maybe maybe this respiratory illness exacerbates something else i can see all of those things having lasting effects very long lasting effects on on an individual and 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 that's just that's just me looking at it through my own lens and thinking man how can this affect my life right Well, and when you talk about the lasting effects, there are absolutely employers that will fire someone for not showing up to the job. Yes. Regardless of the situation that's going on. And um, I saw a letter from an attorney. It was published on social media and it's a friend of a friend, but her husband is an immunocompromised person. And Mm. the complications that she's going through with him and the hospital that won't test them and her preschool child who uh, is being forced to be quarantined, but they won't test her because there's no test available and she doesn't meet the criteria to warrant one of the, you know, tests of gold that is out there that apparently really doesn't work anyway. Um, And it just, it starts rolling from there. So you start looking at that and you start looking at um, the civil rights issues that we might see from this, the further legal complications we might see from this, um, the sick shaming that we've talked about. And then, as, as I say, the, the privacy issues that we're getting, we talk about people working from home. You've got two categories of employees, the ones that can and the ones that can't. And there are employers that are making the news because they're going to continue to pay employees that are not able to come to work. So I guess hourly employees that probably don't have sick leave or something like that, they're still paying them. And I saw even one of them was willing to, I think it was Google, uh, was willing to continue paying contractors, even though they couldn't come into work. And so we have some that are stepping up and doing the right thing, but how long is that going to last? We've already seen where small businesses are putting out of business because of all the canceled events, whether it's, um, I'm in comic comic-con so that's a whole nother conversation for another time i cosplay (laughs) but uh there's a lot of comic-cons and events that are being canceled that a lot of small employers that's where they make their money yeah that's so true and so people are saying support your small businesses buy gift cards now that you can use later when all this passes, but will still the money will still keep the businesses afloat. I don't know that a lot of businesses are going to come out of this really well for this year. I don't know that they're going to go over completely, but I don't know how well they're going to come out of it this year. It's certainly going to to have some lasting economic effects. I think we're seeing that right now across every industry I can think of, and. And there's going to be trickle down effects of that uh, across the board as events get canceled. You know, we we know that those events tend to to support a lot of local communities in any number of ways. Right. This, is, this is certainly going to to hurt in no shortage of shortages of ways. Uh, 
I was going to say, my, my husband's over the web development team, and they're going to start working from home come Monday. And this is the web development team. You don't usually see them working from home. It's interesting, you know, because when I first started my career, those were exactly the types of people that you would see working from home. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's you know. You know, it's a great transition into the next question that I had, though, or the at least topic, right? Which is, so I, I'm witnessing more organizations now tell telling their employees to work from home, and I've and I've equally witnessed something that is very startling amongst, uh, somewhat anecdotally, but at least half a dozen organizations telling their employees to work from home. And in some cases, these are not employees that are used to working from home. They don't have work from home uh, kind of structures. And so they're telling them to work from home using their personal equipment, which Ooh. is just blowing my mind, right? It's like yeah. so, I mean, that, that has so many challenges um, associated with it. This is this is largely a privacy focused conversation. So I, I don't want to double click too far into the security aspect of it, but the, to say the least of one can't have privacy without security. And right. so these, these, these machines, these laptops, these desktops that folks are going to work on from home. So now they're going to have access to sensitive information. And what controls are in place there? I, I have no <laughs> idea. I mean, I exactly. Um, and, and that's the thing. Maybe there's people that are used to working with laptops, but maybe they're not accustomed to working with laptops at home. So you don't have the same setup with the multiple monitors, with the speakers and the microphones. Uh, maybe you're not accustomed to using... Um, Oh, what do you call it? The the remote meeting tools like Zoom. So that's probably what I've seen come out from a lot of employers is making sure can't. And I've gotten this from um, the university because I'm an adjunct professor and I've gotten this from my employer as well. And I'm on the board um, of a nonprofit. So I've gotten communication from them as well. Do you know how to use remote meeting technology? Is it installed on your computer and does you do your speakers and microphone work? Do you have the setup at home you need to work, including VPN? Do you have access to the information you need to do your work, especially if you're a person that's accustomed to working with paper forms? Do you have a setup at home to be able to work with paper? Are you accustomed to working with digital documents? Same thing for digital signing. If you have to sign things, do you have a digital signing technology um, that you're capable of using? Can you get into the the shared drive for your company through a VPN or protected work? And frankly, do your managers know how to reach you? Do they have your actual cell phone numbers and perhaps the cell phone numbers of your closest family members in case they can't reach you and there is something going on, which I haven't really got that question, but I've seen where that question has been asked. And that to me causes a few privacy lines. That crosses more than a few privacy lines. I think <laughs> Something else that really stands out to me, listening to that list of questions, I'm thinking to myself, and is this a shared resource at home? So like, will <laughs> someone else in your family have access to this machine? Because if oh, you God, yeah. in the healthcare industry or, or, or any industry, you've got access to Gabe Gums' sensitive information, that you're not working on this on your home machine where anyone else is sitting down in front of it. Also, you know, randomly browsing the web or God forbid, clicking on random, random links and, and going to websites that, that may compromise their machines. Like I am I am currently, as I sit here right now, very, very nervous about what information of mine is now on any number of untold personal home machines. Oh, well, you've seen the coronavirus map virus, right? 
I have not. Tell me more. There is a map going around. I shared it on Facebook. I think I may have shared it on LinkedIn yesterday. There is a website going around. I'm looking for it right now because it is a website that will track the coronavirus, mapping it about where are the highest ones around the nation. But it's a virus. Wow. I see it. I'm looking at the map right now. Is coronamap.org. <laughs> And so I, let, let's overlay this map with where all of my sensitive data just traveled to. <laughs> Cause that's, that's what just happened. So, that's so great. for, so, so for people that are, are listening and maybe I just feel a little out of the loop. So when you, when you refer to the term, your own personal computer, are you talking about your own personal network at home? Are you talking about actually using your own laptop and not bringing your work laptop home with you? Why, why wouldn't they bring their work home with them? So That's the where answer, I'm a little confused. Yeah, the answer to that question is, so again, some of the organizations that I'm talking about to, that I have firsthand knowledge of, they use desktops in the workplace. So they, right. don't, oh. they, didn't, they didn't issue laptops, right? There, there were no laptops issued. So they're, they're sending them home to, to work. And now part of the good news for the employers, I guess, is in this, in this digital age, a lot of, a lot of data can be accessed via SaaS applications, right? So, you know, you can get to your, your email via O365 and, and, Whatever else, whatever you know, all, all of your other productivity tools, you may not even need to VPN into an org, but but now accessing all of those resources from your own personal machine becomes very problematic. Let's yeah. let's take the inverse of that. Let's say you are using the work supplied laptop. I still see a, a large challenge here in so much that now you're going to have folks that are going to be working from home for some extended period of time, uh, and they're going to be accessing data that they very well may not have while they're, they're at home. Because there's a big difference between going right. home and finishing working on a report versus working, you know, 40 hours a week. Yeah. Home. So, yeah. Now you're in this environment where I don't know what you've got connected IoT devices to, to, to your, your home network. Who knows? And attackers are notorious for finding opportunity in chaos. And this oh, level yeah. of chaos is going to breed a whole lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And and I agree because, um, one, Cameron, uh, you work in a tech field. There, there are still employers out there who don't provide laptops. That's very true. Let that I, just, I guess I've never just... <laughs> I mean, being 2020, I guess I just assumed, and, and that's just me, you know, not really realizing that there are probably plenty of companies where they only use desktops, which I, I mean, I can't, I, I don't think I've ever been at a job where that was the case, at least for me. So it just right. opens my eyes. That's for sure. Let me it tell really you, is. it's anecdotal, but two of the organizations that, that, that I'm speaking of that I have firsthand knowledge of they actually sell technology there. It, it's not like it's some antiquated or, you know, it's, it's not. <laughs> It's not Joe's mechanic shop. No offense to Joe's mechanic. <laughs> Actually, every mechanic I know these days has a laptop. Because that's yeah, how you have to yeah. work on modern cars. So maybe let, Joe's let mechanic... me connect to your car remotely and yeah. fix what ails it, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, man, it, it does. It does introduce a whole number of challenges. And so then let's let's double click into this even further. A couple months from now, hopefully, life's back to complete complete normalcy. Whatever mm -hmm. that looks for all of us. What happens to all that sensitive data that was left behind that people were working on in these machines? Right. Is anyone going to go back through their machine and scour any data they downloaded to work during this time period that they normally wouldn't have on their machines? And particularly thinking about HR data. Yeah. So 
They, they can download. They probably would not typically download it onto a laptop, but maybe they really do need to work with it. Um, some resources are already starting to get scarce. We're already starting to see some of the overloaded internet capabilities. Uh, believe it or not, we are. And so maybe they're downloading it to their machine and it's offline so they can continue to work on it. Is anyone going to think to go back through and scrub those machines? That's my question. And if they're traveling, and heaven forbid, if they're quarantined, are they still working? Do they have their laptop? Are they pulling information in through a network that's not protected? Yeah. These Highly are, likely. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I can't believe that uh, this this pandemic is 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 upon us at the moment. I mean, I can I can believe it, but uh, it's it's hard for me to get my head around just what the the privacy impact here really is. Because for all of all of my my guessing at how bad this problem is going to be, we're not going to know the real extent of this privacy problem for mm-hmm. months, maybe maybe even longer. Right. But yeah. oh, absolutely. Weird. Absolutely. So the bigger question about can your employers ask if you're sick? Oh, absolutely. Can they get intrusive and take your temperature as you come in the door? Uh, That's a little bit far, but okay. (laughs) Um, If you were in another country, would it be okay? Probably not. It depends on what country you're in. If you were in Europe, that's probably a bit far. Um, The exceptions for uh, reasons of public health probably don't carry too far into private employers. But on the other hand, the CDC, the World Health Organization, they need to be able to track people who are sick. And we already know that they're tracking people through social media. They're alerting to Twitter storms or any mentions on Facebook as to having certain symptoms and trying to figure out how to identify those individuals in order to try to control the disease spread. It is it, it, it is an interesting timeline we're living in. I, I thought I thought the privacy timeline was interesting enough, and then this comes along and just kind of uh, adds further to it. Uh, I, I think what I'd like to share for for those that are listening is because if you're listening to this, hopefully that means you cared all about privacy. You you, you must. <laughs> I, I hope you did yeah. if you tuned in. And and what I want is for everyone to be conscious of of this fact that the information that you hold. The information that you work on—that—that's—that's that's your information. That—that's information about, you know, you, your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers, and to, just like all the information everyone else has. And so, you know, hopefully you are taking the appropriate measures and/or alerting your employers that this is this is equally yet another area of concern that we we do have to pay attention to. Right, and that employers need to be paying attention to it. Indeed. That they may sure. they may step over the line when it comes to trying to protect their company, but they may also not be considering the privacy protections they need um, on machines and working remote in order to maintain business during this time. And then how do they protect that data? And I want to point out, it's not just personal data. This is a privacy podcast. We care about personal data. Absolutely. But what about your company's trade secrets? and mm-hmm. confidential corporate information that you don't want getting out and getting shared anywhere. That's a great point. I mean, I think I think the biggest mystery out of this whole thing is why they're selling out of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that I just don't I just don't understand, I guess, but I don't um, either actually. That uh 
I, I encountered that earlier today, and I'm like, but why? Yeah. Okay, but I have to ask you, have you had the thought that, no, I don't need to go buy toilet paper in this panic, but wait a minute, everybody else is buying it. Am I going to have right. it? Right. Yeah. And now I'm really concerned because I, I got to go check my toilet paper uh, amount, <laughs> see if I got enough for the next couple of weeks. That I'm, I'm was probably you... the privacy line that we had. That, that is the privacy line. That's the <laughs> That's the TMI and the TP. You're not right. Yes, yes. I, ha- I had to throw it in there. I mean, that's just, sorry. Um, yeah. and so we can kind of wrap things up. And, you know, this discussion could obviously go on for hours. But I'm <clears throat> I'm really curious, just, I guess, from both of your, your points, because, you know, you have different uh, backgrounds. But what's a, a good way for listeners? What's a good way to game plan for, for something like this that we haven't mentioned anything that we need to... Um, just kind of be on the lookout. Any good, simple practices that anyone should just take while they're at home to to keep themselves um, protected and private for their companies and for themselves. I think first let's start on just the the human and health level, which is. But let's just all be cautious of the, the the hysteria, the toilet paper one. Although it's funny, it's kind of a great example of that. Right? Yeah, we get into a bit of uh, of mob mentality or, or, or groupthink and that actually becomes way more dangerous than the virus itself. Um, right. The panic that the panic yeah. becomes dangerous. So let's, let's all take a breath and, and not panic uh, and, and make sure we're taking the proper, the, the appropriate uh, precautions. Um, a lot of information has been shared via the CDC. Um, I would visit their websites for absolute information, stay in close contact with, with the folks at, at your employers and ensure that uh, you understand what, what contingency plans and those game plans look like. Um, protect your own families first. Uh, and then on the uh, on, on the privacy side of it, where you have some responsibilities to to uh, to the data that you have and everything else. Uh, again, I, I in this sense, I, I urge for a common sense approach first and foremost, um, and not lose sight of once this once this is all said and done, it's not going to be over. We we do need to get back to the the very difficult job of ensuring we're protecting all this information because health information in particular is so very sensitive and it is so, so very pervasive in our lives already. And this is only going to exacerbate that, that uh, yeah. I think the most prudent advice I can give is let's, let's start just w- with a little bit of common sense and, and we'll come back in some later episodes and then we'll do a, we'll do a follow up on what exactly folks can do to, uh, to clean up behind this, if you would. I like That's that good. very much. And I will just add a couple of points to that. One, if you're going to go track what the virus is doing, please make sure you actually go to the CDC website and don't click on links that may come across in social media or your email. Uh, This is a good heads up to companies to make sure that disaster recovery plan that they never thought they were going to have to enact is actually covers something like this. They perhaps didn't accommodate an epidemic taking their employers out of the workforce. Um, as one of their disaster recovery plans. And then the last note I will say, and Cameron, and I'll turn it over to you for this, is that I did hear that the World Health Organization announced that dogs cannot (laughs) contract the coronavirus. They previously were held in quarantine. They've now been released. So let's be clear, who let the dogs out? I love it. Couldn't get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Kay, thank you so much for being on. This is awesome, and I, uh, I know you're a speaker, you're an author yourself. So, is there anywhere that 
um, people can follow you or listen to you or um, I don't, obviously we're not going to have any events here anytime soon because of the the pandemic, but uh, anything that you want to uh, say to anyone out there and listeners that can follow you and, and find you on social media. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very easy to find. My first name really is one letter K, so it's K Royal. Uh, on LinkedIn, on Twitter and Instagram, I am on the heart of privacy. And then I actually host my company's privacy podcast, which is ser Serious Privacy. So we all need a little serious privacy, please, mm -hmm. right? Um, so yes, yeah, so please feel free. Don't ever hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I, I definitely believe in the transparency part of privacy. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and, and we enjoyed it. Much Thank y'all for having me. Okay. All right. Well, stay safe, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey, an all-around decent guy. Until next time.